to divert auxiliary power to the rear deflector shield. We definitely do. Since when do you know how to fly? 190 years old? You look great. Chewie, get in. I'll help Ander. Welcome to the Wampa's Lair Podcast. Deep in the bowels of the frozen ice caverns of Hoth, our hosts, Carl LeClaire and Jason Hunt, discuss all things Star Wars. So join the conversation and hang out here in the Wampa's Lair. Hey everybody and welcome back to the very exciting episode of the Wamba Slayer Podcast. This is episode number 285, Solo Response. I'm as always one of your hosts, Jason Hunt, and with me, the Tobias Beckett to my Dryden boss, we have Carl LeClaire. <laughs> so apparently I owe you a lot. Uh, that's for sure. Jason and- is Jason is back to be in the podcast. <laughs> yes. Uh, and remember... Fail me, and this is your last chance. We're all we, out of options. We won't. <laughs> I love that response. We won't. <laughs> <It's just> like, <laughs> we won't. So casual. I know. So I really I like Beckett a lot. Beckett is a character I did not expect to like as much as I did. Yeah, I am. Uh, I'm so excited to just be able to talk about this movie more in depth, Jason. Yes. Me too. Um, I know you did a panel, obviously, just this this past weekend at Phoenix Comic Con, where you talked about Solo and the future of Star Wars. Um, but yes. uh, yeah, I, I want to hear a little bit about that. But before we before we get into all of the discussion that we will obviously continue to break down um, for Solo, um, again, whenever there's new Star Wars movies, we tend to see, as probably a lot of podcasts do. Uh, an uptick in downloads typically um, as we have more casual fans stopping by to hear other people break down so, uh, the new Star Wars film. So if you are in that camp and you are a new listener joining us here in the Wampus Lair, welcome. Make yourself at home. Grab a Tauntaun burger. Um, enjoy enjoy <laughs> your time here. And of course, thanks for giving us your time to, to listen to our thoughts on Solo because there's so many great shows out there. So we appreciate your, your ears to listen. Yes. Yes. We, we hope that we delight your ears, your listening ears, um, as you inquire about, is Solo actually good? And, spoiler alert to us, yes. Yes, it is. Um, <laughs> yeah, I agree. This is, this is a very, very good movie. We should probably also say that this is a complete spoiler-filled discussion. We are not avoiding them at all. So if you have yet to see the movie, all I will tell you at the moment I had a lot of fun. It's really good because it's so much fun. There's amazing amount of Easter eggs for people who are interested in who who read a lot or played video games or you know just especially legends stuff. There's a lot of Easter eggs for legends stuff, um, and it's just a really good, really fun movie. Great origin story for Han Solo. 
do yourself a favor and go see it, especially if you're a fan of The Smuggler. So, yeah, as most of us are. Yeah. I mean, so real, right out the gate, um, I want to bring this up even though I, I don't have a response to it. But typically when a new Star Wars movie comes out, we inevitably, as Star Wars fans, we like to rank them, right? We like to re-rank them, put it I, – I, I still don't have a rank for this movie. I don't know where to put it. Um, no. And 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 that actually to me brings up a bigger question, and this is a conversation I've been having with a few few friends as of late. That sometimes, in a way, it's hard to rank the films because, in a way, they're they're really dependent upon how you feel, right? Depending on how you feel is going to kind of dictate which Star Wars film you might want to watch. Now, at the end of the day, yes, Empire is always going to be my favorite Star Wars movie. I don't see anything ever taking out Empire as my top spot. Um, and Phantom Menace will probably always be number three. <laughs> so <laughs> just love that movie. But that being said, right? I mean, if it, you know, obviously there's inevitable with Last Jedi being released just five months ago and, you know, the backlash that surrounded that film, you have lots of people on, you know, Star Wars camps saying like, oh, this is so much better than Last Jedi. Right. Um, and I, in a way, I can't really compare them because they're so different. It's a totally different viewing experience solo mm-hmm. from Last Jedi. And I, I am right now, at least I am. I don't want to make that assessment. I don't want to say one is better than the other. Um, if I want to watch a really heavy and thought provoking Star Wars movie, I'm going to watch Last Jedi. But if I'm just right. looking to have a great time and, and feel a lot of positivity, I'm throwing in Solo, um, right? They're two totally different feelings when you watch these films. I mean, they both have weight for sure. I mean, there is weight to Solo. There is you know character development. There is um, tragedy and loss. But it's a totally different feeling and vibe than Last right. Jedi. So again, I don't think they're necessarily comparable in that way. They're just very different films. And I think depending on your mood is going to dictate which one you're going to prefer at that particular time right now. Yeah. I'm really loving solo and I'm inclined to keep going back to the theater and watch that as much as I can. But that's usually however it is when a new star Wars movie comes out for me. Right, right. No, I, I totally agree. Solo has a very different feel when you're watching it than last Jedi. That doesn't mean it's better or worse. It just, it means it's, it's different because they're serving different purposes. Um, this is an origin story. This is, you know, the beginnings of, uh, of a hero. This is the, the development and the, the backstory for one of the most iconic characters in, from the original trilogy. Uh, one that many people say is their favorite of the big three. Not me, but, um, that many people will say. And I will say, Solo has, uh, definitely elevated the character of Han Solo in my estimation, in my regard. I like him more now after seeing this movie than I did before. Um, and I will say Force Awakens did that for me as well because Harrison did an amazing job in Force Awakens. But it's a much different movie than the middle act of a trilogy like Last Jedi because it's just accomplishing different purposes. And like Carl said, there's you know character depth, there's tragedy in Solo – but it's a really, really fun movie overall. And while Last Jedi is more thought-provoking and more uh, heavy-handed as far as you know the character development, there are fun moments in that too. So you know, but that's not the focus. So right, it's a, it's a, although Solo is a, a really, really fun movie. And if you want a really fun movie that is a Star Wars movie, go check it out. Yeah. Yeah, it might be the most fun I've had at a Star Wars movie. Um, 
that I can think of. Force Awakens was also a lot of fun. Yes. Force Awakens, you know, has a huge advantage, though, on every Star Wars film coming out now because, again, it was the first Star Wars film after we thought Star Wars was gone. So, right. um, of course, you're going to have a much stronger visceral reaction to Force Awakens than anything else moving forward. Um, so, yeah, I mean, but this is just so fun. So, so fun. Um, so kind of what we want to do this episode, since obviously last week we were, you know, kind of rushed for time and Jason was literally in the car. Um, you know, we just kind of wanted to get our general reactions out last week, but what we really want to kind of really want to dive into the film, um, in this particular episode and just kind of look at the nooks and crannies, which again, we will probably be doing this for a while. Um, and a reminder that next week we do want your responses to the films. So next week, the, the entire episode will be devoted to what you all thought of the Star Wars film. And we'll, we'll follow up at the end of the episode about how you can go about, you know, sharing your thoughts with us so that we can, you know, uh, share them on, on the air. Um, but, uh, Jason, starting with the film, let's start with the very beginning. (laughs) Um, Okay. And, and I know we kind of talked quickly about it last week, but, um, the opening crawl, that's not a crawl. Yes. I loved it. By the way, folks from here on, Oh, yeah. Spoilers. Right. <laughs> spoilers. Spoilers. Um, yes. The opening crawl that's not a crawl. It's like an extended a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away is what it is. Um, you know, it's just got a few extra pages to it this time, which is a little weird, but works. Um, I still think my favorite part of the, the opening logo stuff is when the logo actually shows up as – Han is driving the speeder down the the uh, the back alleys of Corellia. Um, yeah. I like the way the logo comes up and and sort of zooms up to the camera and past it. Um, but yeah, the the crawl that's not a crawl works for me. It's different, but you know it is what it is, um, and I, it doesn't bother me. It's you know a little weird when you compare it to everything you know the other films but it's not horribly out of place yeah well you know what makes me think of is is like it it's like the beginning of a clone wars episode right how they always have that blue font with yes Mm -hmm. i mean with clone wars it's always like some sort of like teaching maxim in a way Right. Right. The the fortune cookie. Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But it's similar in the sense that it's I love the font. And and I think the reason it's kind of important here is we're in a different part of the galaxy. We're telling a different kind of story than we have before in Star Wars, even more so than Rogue One. So I like that it gives us a little bit of the state of the galaxy. Right. This idea that there are these these syndicates who are fighting for hyper fuel. and the last line of it is great because it says a young man struggles to survive while he yearns to fly among the stars. I think that is verbatim. I tried to make sure I memorized it. I went and saw it again this afternoon. Um, <laughs> and uh, I meant to bring a notebook with me, but then I was like, ah, I don't want to be that guy. I want to just enjoy the movie. Um, yeah, don't, don't be that guy. And besides, would you really be able to see what you're writing in the movie theater? It's quite bright. Oh, well, that's true. The screen, the screen yeah. is the screen. The screen, the screen quite is quite, quite bright. Um, but yeah, I mean, I really like that. I really like that line that that is the perfect setup for who Han is. Right. And, and that's something we'd heard about even in with the, before the movie came out from behind the scenes stuff. This is a guy just longing for freedom, but I love that line uh, that he yearns to fly among the stars. You know, it's just, it's yeah. a very, um, fairy tale esque 
type of language. And I like that. I like that so much. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's good. It's good. And it really, you know, sets up how you look at, at Han when you, when you see him there with Kira trying to get out. You know, it really helps to, to clarify and to really point you in the right direction for his mental state where, 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 he's, where his thoughts are at as he's trying to get off Corellia with Kira there in the opening sequence. So. Right. And real quick, because you mentioned, right, that uh, so it's different now than Rogue One, which I, again, appreciate the, the fact that we have the solo title flying at you kind of like a marquee light. Um, yes. And then you have the first real loud um, triumphant statement of the Han Solo theme, which, of course, John Williams composed for the movie. Um, to mm-hmm. be fair, um, so if you if you have been able to get your hands on the soundtrack, so if you have Spotify, it's, it's there. That's where I have it. I mean, you can also buy it on iTunes or all sorts of other places. Um, but the second track, Meet Han, is, is, you know, the first track from the film. And even the beginning part, it's actually Han's theme, but played in a minor key. So right from the get-go, it's very clear whose story this is, which I like. Um, that being said, I, I was telling Jason off-air, and I'm hoping that I can get time to do that this weekend. I might do a mini-episode on the music itself um, just for fun over the weekend. So maybe look forward to that. Um, but I want to that, pl- – that's a, that's a possible programming note. That, that <laughs> there's no guarantee that that's going to happen. We hope so, but no guarantee. So don't hold your breath too hard. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I, we so don't I, want you turning as blue as Lady Proxima. Oh goodness! Um, but <laughs> I, I just want to play this opening blast of the theme that we get as the title. Here it comes. Well, this is him activating the speeder. Fast forward a tiny bit. Driving the speeder, and I think it comes right here. So what I really like about the Han Solo theme um, is it actually reminds me a lot, just in just the feel of it, to the uh, Michael Giacchino theme for Spider-Man Homecoming. Um, again, it does not sound exactly the same, um, and I should have this queued up, and I don't. But uh, let me give me give me one second, and I'll, I'll play just a quick snippet of what makes me feel like it sounds like um, the the Spider-Man Homecoming. All right, darn it. Spider-Man Homecoming. Got to actually type the whole thing in, I guess. Spider-Man uh, Home does not work. No, it does not. Here we go. So, oop, I got to turn the volume up. There's just something about, like, it's not the same. Yeah. But there's just, like, this, like, true-blooded, heroic, thematic thing to it. So... Especially this part a little bit. But anyway, this is not a Spider-Man podcast. <laughs> um, no, I do love that piece, though. I, I, I do like I do like the fact that we got to compare that because that's yeah. awesome. And yes, there is a familiarity, a, a similarity to the two. Um, but you're also dealing with similar kinds of characters. You know, you got yep. heroes starting to step out into the world and you know come into their own. Right. So. And although Han would not consider himself a hero. Right. And the thing I appreciate that there's, again, just in a way, just tonally is what sounds familiar to me. I, again, I don't think anything musically is the same. I'm not, I don't have a keen enough ear for music to actually be able to say that with any accuracy. I'm just thinking of tonality, the way it's played. They're both kind of very just triumphant sounding pieces of music. They're very heroic themes. 
And what I appreciate is both Spider-Man and Han Solo are blue collar heroes, right? Peter yeah. Parker comes from, you know, just like a kind of not a poor family, but certainly not a well-off family in Queens. And Han is a scrum rat to use the new language, right? So they're both kind of these blue collar heroes. And it's just it's interesting to me that the two most recent themes for these two characters have a somewhat similar tonality to them. Yeah. No, it's cool. And it, it, I, any excuse to listen to more film music is okay with me. <laughs> um, but yeah, so the, the, the movie, you know, begins with, with Hans boosting the speeder. And the first thing he, he does is bumps into Kira. And, right, we were asking this question as before the movie came out. You know, are these two romantically involved? And they never said that, right? Not, neither Alden or Amelia. Uh, I use their first names because obviously I'm their friends. Um, right. But, right, neither of them would admit the extent of their relationship. Just like, oh, she really knows him. They go back a long way. But they never admitted anything any sort of romantic ties. Um, and I appreciate that. But then, right, two, not even two minutes into the movie, you have them kissing. So it's like, oh, all right, they're, they're involved. Um, but the thing I appreciate about their, their relationship is they're very much just like two young people in love, right? And all they're doing is dreaming big together. They, they want something more. Um, they want to get out of this place. You know, I love that theme in Star Wars. Hashtag balcony scenes. <laughs> <laughs> um, this is their balcony scene. They just don't have a balcony because they're poor and they're in the underground. But um, right. <laughs> this is the closest we're going to get to a balcony scene um, in Solo. And I love it. <laughs> so, right. But like, and, and what I love is there, there's this thematic piece that uh, will, will tie in both the beginning and the end of this film. And it's this vial of um, coaxium, right? Han opens yes. it. And I love that it's it's a really cool looking prop, by the way. It looks like a just like a crystal that's in like the snape, shape of a snowflake almost, but it's like a deep blue. It's really pretty, I think. It's a really neat prop. Um, yeah. So that's how the movie begins. Han, Han steals it as a way of getting off the planet, right? Like he tells Kira, this is going to be it. We're going to get out now. Um, it, it's, it's a symbol of hope. You know, Last Jedi and Rogue One, that was a huge buzzword in both of those movies. Definitely Rogue One. Almost yes. sickening so. Sickeningly so. We <laughs> never get the word hope, I don't think, at all in Solo, which I kind of appreciate. Yet this little vial of coaxium represents hope. Because at the beginning, it represents the hope of Han and Kira escaping. And then the last thing Han gets at the end of the movie is another vial of coaxium from Enfys. Yes. So, um, which I'll talk about when we get to that part of the movie. But I just really like that they bookend the film with something that is extremely important for a character like Han Solo. He's, he's poor. He's trying to make his way in the galaxy. What do you need? Some sort of resource to get by. So the movie begins and ends with the same resource. So I just, I just really like that. Yeah. It's a, it's a neat little, uh, tie, tie into itself. Um, a nice, nice way to, to bookend and to, to rhyme the beginning and the end of the, the movie. So, um, I want to get your overall impressions though on, uh, Lady Proxima and the and her goons and the the opening mm. sequence here as they pursue Han and Kira through the city. First of all, just Lady Proxima thoughts. I think she's great. Um, <laughs> very interesting looking creature. Um, and I like it. it. It's 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 original, and and to use to use Disney Star Wars language, it's familiar but different. Um, mm -hmm. right. It's not like exactly like anything we've seen before, but not 
totally unlike anything we've seen before. I mean, it, it's kind of a Dianoga, but not, you know? Um, yeah, I really like her. And I like, you know, especially her interaction, like when Kira comes, you know, steps forward to kind of try to um, stand in, you know, stand up for Han when Moloch pulls a gun on him, right? Um, Proxima, you know, says to her, you're like, oh, we, don't forget what we did for you, right? Like, I hate Proxima, which I think you're supposed to, right? Oh, she, yeah. She clearly, like, she takes advantage of everyone, right? She, and and holds that over them, right? She She's literally no different than a slave master in a way. Um, oh, yeah. Uh, you know, so she's holding something over all of them. And, uh, yeah, I like it because, you know, she is this very arrogant character who just thinks she's in complete control. And I love when Han pulls out the rock. <laughs> <laughs> right? No, not Dwayne Johnson, an actual rock. <laughs> right, 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 right. Yeah, oh, no. <laughs> that would, oh my gosh, that'd be hilarious. Yeah, Dwayne Johnson yeah. would not fit in any human being's pocket. That is true. That is true. We all um, might fit in his, but not the other way around. Exactly. Um, right. There's a lot of man. Um, right. Oh, that's for sure. He's you know. Anyway, um, but no, I, I I love the the whole sequence where he he uses the <clears throat> thermal detonator to get out. Um, right. Well, and I was just telling you this off the air. Um, I heard from behind the scenes that Alden improvised the clicking thing that that wasn't originally in the script. Alden just kind of did it and they loved it. So they, so then they wrote in Proxima saying like, you just made a clicking sound. <laughs> I love it. It's <laughs> you just so made good. That clicking sound with your mouth. Um, <laughs> oh. she's like, she's a wacky character. I love her. Um, I really do. And I, I love Moloch, her, yeah, her same, enforcer. He's cool. Say more about um, that. I know. I know he's got got your eye. Yes, he does. Perhaps you shall uh, hear a background spotlight on Moloch in the near future. <laughs> hint, hint. Um, but uh, no, he he's pretty cool. Um, he's actually the same species as uh, Lady Proxima. He's a worm. Um, he's just oh. stuffed in a suit. Oh, I didn't uh, know that. She's she's like you know the the queen. It's it's like you know one of the, these uh, interest these insect things where the, the queen is kind of this larger, slightly different, like like the Genosians, um, you know, um, sort of thing. But and she's actually down in the water there, in the the briny water there is where she's tending her eggs and larvae and all that stuff. It's you know I I got the official guide for Solo, so I've been reading up on some of this stuff. There's some wackiness in there, but it's pretty cool. Um, but yeah, no, it's uh, they are the same species, which is why when the the sun comes in and she starts burning and heads down, his mask closes up. Yeah, I love that. Protect him from the the sun the sunlight too. So um, yeah, he's just got a cool cool setup. And I like his staff. I like his gun. I don't know. I I like Moloch. Moloch's pretty nifty. So, which is great, right? I mean, this is, that's so stereotypical Star Wars, right? To create these background characters or even just small minor characters that we immediately love for no other reason than like we just do. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. He's um, cool. Right? He's cool. He looks really <laughs> great. And um, you know, the, what's interesting too in you know Bradford Young who who was the uh the guy who filmed the whole movie um he's been very clear that similar to like what they did with Rogue One right that a lot of the settings initially are very dark and and misty and shady and then as the film progresses things get lighter and lighter right it kind of shows the progression 
of, you know, the character's journey from darkness into light. Um, and it's very interesting, the color of, you know, of Proxima's lair. It's like just this very kind of like chilly blue color. And yeah. if any, if, if for anyone who's familiar with, um, uh, is it Dante that wrote the thing about hell? Um, uh, Purgatory Lost? Yes. Is that Dante? Yes, Dante. Dante's Inferno. Right. So I've never actually read it, but I do know like the crux of it that ultimately describes hell. The, 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 the deepest part of hell is actually like ice and cold and it's freezing because it's completely devoid of you know love and compassion. Um, and it just made me think of that with Corellia. Here you have Proxima who's you know lying and saying that she's providing protection and, and, a, and a home for these people, but it's really in the depths of hell. Um, and even as Han walks in, he's walking by these couple of kids who are arguing over the stuff they stole that day. You have this one girl steal something out of a boy's hand because he's like, oh, I'm going to get an extra extra portion for this. And she goes, nope, I'm going to get an extra portion for this. And it's just like, right, it's a it's a dog eat dog world down there. Um, there's no there's no room. There's no strength and compassion. So, um, yeah. So I like that color, uh, the coloring of of that. And even as they like, you know, then Han and Kira, they're escaping. They blast out at least into some level of sunlight. Um, and, you know, Jason, as I've shared with you over the years, chase scenes are always kind of my least favorite parts of the movie. The chase scenes in this movie are amazing. Like, I love them. And I think part of it is, is none of them feel very long, um, which is important. Sometimes chase scenes go for way too long. Um, there's there's enough other things going on in them that and they change uh either locale or objective um in fairly quick succession and i i I think it was part of it they they, they're very well timed out and executed out to so that you're not doing the same thing for a long long time you you know for example with um with the chase here on Corellia, at first it's the, you know, out on the open, you know, road, so to speak. And then they go into the alleys, um, you know, in the restricted area in the, you know, in the spaceport and they're skimming between all these things going in narrower and narrower alleys until finally they're out, you know, on foot going into the spaceport. Um, and then when you have the train sequence, at first it starts off with, uh, well, let's we're, we're here. Let's get our you know our objective. Unhook this thing. Yeah. Uh, blow the bridge, and then there's stormtroopers. We deal with the stormtroopers. Great. Let's get back to task. Oh, here comes Emphis Nest, and then oh, here come the Viper droids. You know, and it's it's and it's stuff in all different areas of the chase, areas of the sequence, um, and it's all timed out very well in order to keep your attention. Um, and to keep it interesting. Yeah. It's almost like George edited this movie, you know, <laughs> I mean, it's very, it's very clear that Ron Howard is heavily influenced, at least in this particular film by the editing style of George Lucas, which makes sense because he's got yes. friends with him. Um, and he's making a star Wars movie. So he's going to edit it like a star Wars movie. And from what I heard, he actually spoke with George on more than one occasion. Um, in the lead up to, you know, joining the production and during the production. That's so. Yeah. Well, and, and again, in, in case you don't know this, which I'm sure most of you are aware, but this, this particular solo film, the idea to do a solo film was in the works before George sold to Disney. 
Um, and he had already tapped Lawrence Kasdan to start working on it. So again, even for all the people who are like, we never wanted this movie. Well, George initiated it, just so you know. <laughs> so um, Disney put it on the back burner just for a little bit, but then they decided to have Lawrence finish it off. Um, but anyway, uh, yeah. Stop. So go ahead. You're about to say something. Well, I, I think we should get move it along That's here. That's what I was we've, been, yeah, I we've been talking, you know, for a while, and we've only hit like maybe the Fine. first three minutes of the movie, you know. Right. <laughs> so the spaceport on Corellia, that set piece, the the costumes. I felt like I was watching Rogue One for a minute there, and I don't mean that right. as like a detriment. It just it, it felt very Rogue One esque. Um. And, and again, the Empire does not play a big role in the movie. But what we do learn, which isn't surprising because like any sort of mob movie, whenever you have crime bosses, they often have the local, you know, the bigger authority figures in their pocket. Right. We see that one stormtrooper as Han and Kira run in and Moloch and some of the other, you know, and the hounds are following them in. You see a stormtrooper kind of like commander walk and be like hey what's going on he taps his stick on him and it's like all of a sudden now the stormtroopers are helping right so it's very clear that lady proxima has the local imperial garrison in her pocket oh Um, yeah oh yeah no they're or they're saying oh we've got these troublemakers they're bad news even for us so that means you should help us find them you know that sort of thing so either way it's mutually beneficial uh for them to help moloch track down han and kira um but you're right the spaceport does look a lot like Rogue One. It would not have been out of place to see, you know, Kira or Saw or excuse me, Kira. Uh, you do see Cassian, Kira. <laughs> yeah, Cassian or Saw or Jin. You know, walk through. I mean, I'm honestly almost a little surprised we didn't see a freighter pilot uniform like Bodhi wears. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you know, but you know, it's it, it totally. Same universe, same feel. It would not have been out of place to see any of those characters walking through the spaceport. Right. Um, except for the fact that it's, you know, set almost 10 years earlier. But that's neither here nor there. Um. <laughs> yeah. Now, uh, so again, just – and I know I made this comment on the last last episode. But I, I think it's worth mentioning again that this kind of – in a way like – prelude of the the chunk of the film right the the inciting incident of solo is han getting separated from kira right it's this very tragic moment um again i got to give a huge shout out to uh john powell on his musical take on this particular scene i'm gonna i'm gonna find that really quick where is it yeah right here So very tragic sounding music, very dissonant chords, right? Um, tonally just reminding us how how traumatic this event is. So just like Jin at the beginning of Rogue One, seeing her family, you know, ripped away from her, Han is watching as the the love of his life is ripped from him. So now his immediate goal is getting back to Corellia to rescue Kira. Right. Um, So that becomes kind of his purpose. His purpose with her was to just fly among the stars. But now it's come back and get her before I can do that. Right. He doesn't want to do that without her. Exactly. And so in order to do that, he joins the Imperial Academy. He's going to become a pilot. And then he gets too lippy and has too much of a mind of his own and ends up getting stuck with the infantry. What real quick. Did you notice the Imperial March being played in the background? Um, Oh, yeah. 
like oh yeah but it's like all it's in a the major actual key. imperial theme yeah and it's like it's, but it's in like a major key it's a little bit different sounding which i thought was cool it's almost note for note what they played in um rebels? imperial day in yeah. rebels yeah yeah which is so, really cool um yeah but yeah it, so han signs up this is of course the moment where he gets his name right um and again just how does he, how is this still sitting with you that the fact that a just random imperial officer gives him the name solo i like it i mean i first of all i i think the the officer who he's talking to is a, is played well and mm-hmm. you know he's not you know your typical imperial officer who's arrogant and snooty and everything you know he, this guy's been put you know in the He's probably transferred from recruitment center to recruitment center all over the outer rim. And he's like, meh, you know, so he's kind of like just biding his time till retirement at this point. Um, I don't know. I, I like the, the officer well, well enough that him giving Han the name and the way that it comes up um, doesn't bother me. I, I like it, you know, and, and like I said last time, you know, Han seems to take ownership of it he he likes the sound of it and he's like yeah I'll, that's me i will do that so um i like it you know it it's a little different you know it's a little weird that he didn't have the last name before but you know he probably doesn't remember what his last name you know, he, obviously he doesn't remember what his last name would have been he probably doesn't even remember well, or, really his family uh i mean I bet she he mentions he mentions his father and knowing he, being on board the, uh, a freighter with his father, mm-hmm. it could be that he does remember, but he's dis, disowned it, right? He's tossed it aside because that's not who he is, right? Well, um, and and he does say he didn't have a good relationship with his old man, right? So. And and when the officer says like, "Who are your people?" I don't, I'm alone, no one, right? Oh, I mean, like, oh, I love it. Like, I'm alone. It's like, oh, Hannah. That, today when i watched it it was the most emotional i got it's probably because i was by myself so i don't care if i cry in front of no one um <laughs> normally i've been going with my friend greg and I, I don't want greg to have to wipe up too many of my tears um or drown yeah, in them or drown in them yeah uh and i cried the most um seeing it today on my own because I, I just i really bought into things like i hadn't before um and i love crying in a movie so I'll, I'll own that right now um <laughs> So, but yeah, and I think the first thing that really got me here is I just, I really understood Han. I really felt a connection when he says I'm alone. Um, And the interesting thing is, is Han is going to really feel that in a raw way now because he's lost the biggest connection, Kira. And of course he's going to come back for that because that's the one thing that probably doesn't make him feel alone. Um, But ultimately who's going to really make him not feel alone? Good old Chewie. Uh Um, But yeah, so, you know, he he goes off to... uh, Cadria or Cardia, whatever the name of that planet is, which is again in Legends canon, that is the place where the Imperial Navy Academy was, which is great. So that's a great callback. Um, and I love when the the officer says, "We'll have you flying in no time." The immediate next shot is literally Han flying through the air. <laughs> yes, yes, not the way he wanted to, uh, but yes, he's flying through the air, and it's like that's not what I was intending. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I love. Alden's way of really grabbing the sarcastic humor of Han Solo too, right? So he's he's totally flabbergasted in that moment. The officer's like, "Get up, soldier! Get up, Solo!" Um, he's like, 
we need to get moving. He's like, go where? Where are we going? Like he's just <laughs> so like annoyed. I to love victory! It. Yeah. Forward, come on! Kablooey. Kablooey. Um, oh, and that's when Han goes, I'm good, thanks, you know. Right. <laughs> and then up over the bluff comes this space cowboy, twirling his pistols, taking down the enemy. And that's our introduction to Beckett. Right. Um, Beckett and Val and Rio. Um, but yeah, yeah Beckett... <laughs> I I like this scene because Han obviously is kind of getting the idea that they're not really supposed to be there. They're not really Imperials, but they're the only ones who seem to have any sort of plan and they're the only ones who really have any, you know, any sort of plan to survive what's going on right now. So he's going to like, well, you got the captain's uniform. So what are we doing, Captain? You know, <laughs> right? And, and I like I like how Beckett has to take a look at his uniform and go, "Oh, oops," you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you know, it's it's great because I'm I'm fairly certain Han overhears their conversation, right? Like Rio's complaining. Oh, yeah. He's like, "You said this was just a like a, a grab job. We're in the middle of a war," right? And uh, I think like Han overhears that and and. Han is immediately intrigued by this group because it's the easier way out, right? It's wait, hold on. If these guys are here to pull a job and I team up with them, I could probably make some quick money and get back to Kira quicker, right? Like mm-hmm. Han's a survivor, um, you know, and it, it, very similar to Ray in Force Awakens, right? I think that's why Han really takes to Ray so quickly. I think he sees so much of his own upbringing in her in Force Awakens. Um, but here you, he, he overhears this scheming and plotting and it's immediately like a light bulb goes off and it's like, wait, here's a much more direct and easy way to get back to Corellia to get back to Kira. I'm going to follow these guys. Right. Right. Plus it'll get me out of this uh, war zone. So, <laughs> right. And you can tell that Han doesn't buy into the rhetoric of the empire, right? Cause when they're standing there getting that briefing from the Lieutenant, he's like, what is our objective, sir? You know, to bring peace and prosperity to the, to the, uh, to the galaxy to create a regime loyal to the emperor, you know, and to, and to free the, eliminate the hostiles. And it, yeah. And I love Han's response of like, this is their planet. We're the hostiles. And I just like, Oh yeah. I mean, that is such a callback to like George's like original critique in 1977 with the, with a new hope that saying the United States military were the empire in Vietnam, which, so it's kind of like a callback to, or maybe like, you know, the modern war on terror where we're literally the hostiles in every place we go. So nobody asks for us there. We just show up. So anyway, but I just I like that there's that little bit of commentary that kind of ties it into some of the social commentary that George intended back in the 70s. Um, but I like it, too, because it just shows that Han doesn't buy into the rhetoric of the empire. Again, he's just here for the means of getting to Kira. And the old Legends canon, it did seem like Han joined the Empire because he sincerely wanted to be part of this. He wanted to be part of something bigger than himself. He's kind of enamored with the Empire. I don't really get that sense in Solo. I think, again, like he literally enlists right there to just get the hell out of a tight spot. Um, Right. And again, he sees it as an avenue to getting back to who he wants to be with. Um, And it's very clear in a little scene like that that Han doesn't care about the Empire. So that's great, right? Like he's never an enemy. So, right. But, um, you know, they get out. He tries to, 
uh, talk his way in with Beckett and Val and Rio, but they're not having it, and they turn him over, and he gets uh, dropped in a pit with the Beast. Mm-hmm. Like, There's a Beast, you know. As yeah. We haven't fed him in three days. This <laughs> ought to be good. Have you, ever, um, have you ever seen the movie Pineapple Express with James Franco and Seth Rogen? No, it's just it's one of those silly, stupid comedies. But there's a part where they're dragging James Franco to throw him into like this pit. And he goes, well, what you got down there? A raincar? <laughs> so, <laughs> I, uh, it's nice. just really funny the way he does it. And uh, as they're dragging on, like, and he's like, wait, a beast? There's a beast? I, I just immediately made me think of him like that James Franco scene was like, what you got down there? A raincar? Um, <laughs> but what do you think about the way they, they introduce Chewie, right? Even just the way he's shot. Chewie is presented as this monster character. Right. Did you know that it was Chewie? Did you think it was going to be Chewie down there when you first saw it? No, not at first. And only when we <clears throat> saw the foot, I was like, oh, it's Chewie. Mm. You know, but up until then, when the, the chains started getting pulled and we started hearing the roars and the growls or whatever, because they were, you know, vague enough to not really tell you anything at first. Um, I was like, okay, what kind of monster we got? We're going to have a monster fight here, which is not an, uh, you know, an unheard of thing in Star Wars. You, de- you have monster fights, um, you know, the Dinoga, the Rancor, the Geonosian Arena. Um, but um, so I was like, oh, good. We're getting another monster fight. This will be cool. What I wonder what they have. And then it's Chewie. And I'm like, oh, oh, this makes a lot more sense. You know, <laughs> so um, I like it. You know, mm. it, it, it's a it's a neat way to um, literally hook these two together um, and uh, make them work together in a situation where neither of them really want to be there. So um, I like it and it forces it forces them to work together in order to escape, which is what really sets the stage for their relationship afterwards. Right. Yeah, I, I love that they, it, like you just said, you know, it's it's because they work together that they're able to free themselves. Mm-hmm. So, and again, it's just so indicative of what happens when these two characters work together, right? Even from the get go, when they when they put their minds to something together, they can be successful. So it, you know, even from their first meeting, it's by cooperating that they're able to do something great. Um, which is again is just a very strong Star Wars theme. Um, I, I will say, and it, it is one of my minor quibbles, but I I still do prefer the old legend story that like Han sees Chewie as a slave, and takes great like compassion for him, and and kind of goes out of his way to free Chewie. I just like that old legend story because I think it's it's a stronger statement about Han than what happens here. Um, in a way, Han doesn't really care about Chewie initially. I don't think he's wholly indifferent to him per se, but. In that particular moment, Chewie is just a means of escape more than anything else. Um, so, mm, I, partly, but I also think you know, Han will never admit this, but he hates seeing innocents in distress. True, uh, Chewie's an innocent, right? And he's in distress, and so yes, Chewie's a means to an escape. He's a means to an end, but. When, especially as they're running through the mud and you know trying to go different ways, and Han, great scene by the way, <laughs> grabs I know, and Han be- grabs Chewie and says, "No, we have to go this way. Trust me." Yeah, 
that's an investment. And, you know, so I, I, I think, I think it's more than just a means to escape. Um, definitely not where they get to by the end of the movie, but you know, mm-hmm. I think there is a level of investment in Chewie, uh, when he figures out what is going on with the Wookiee. So, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, we get the, uh, the crew by coming the way, back for them. Oh, good. By the way, can, can I can I just mention the the shower scene? Yeah, and how hilarious I think yes. that is. It's so good. But I do like that Beckett and Rio are the ones that decide to go back. Right? Vale doesn't want to. Um, no, Vale's like, no, no, no. We don't need them. Right? She clearly doesn't trust outsiders, which makes sense with their line of work. Um, mm-hmm. But I love Rio's. Like, whoa, is that a Wookie? There's no better – you'll find no better sleep than curled up in a Wookiee's lap. Right. <laughs> it's such a funny line. Um, right. But I love how ecstatic Han is as they're you – know, they bring the ship back down. And he's cheering. He's so excited. And again, you get another great, great statement of his theme. Um, but yeah, and then you have what is probably one of the funniest scenes between Han and Chewie, that shower yes. scene. We couldn't, yes. you know, we couldn't do this one at a time. We couldn't maybe do this one at a time. Yeah. So, <laughs> so good. Um, but yeah, you know, and you have this really beautiful, tender moment between Han and Chewie, you know, as they're, they're flying to this uh, other planet. What is the name of that planet? Is it, is it Vandor? Yep. Vandor. Yep. Um, and, uh, you know, he gets Chewie's name, decides that he needs to give him a nickname um, the thing I love in this is how my favorite part of that clip is when Han says to him, you know, um, once we, you know, we help them with this job, we're going to get a ton of money and then we can both go wherever we want. We can be free. When was the last time you could say that for yourself? And Chewie's response, we don't obviously know what it is, but Han then says, yeah, me too. It's been a while for me too. And I just, I yeah. love that, right? Like these are two characters who for so much of their life experience have been enslaved and they find a bonding in that. Um, well, and I guess not all of Chewie's life. Chewie's 190 years old. He's probably been enslaved for the last 15, 20 years, which is right. a long time you know, to it, be fair. It's, um, it's you know, the, re- the, the recent past. Right. So. And yeah, I just, I, I love that little tender moment because I think that really is what bonds them is this mutual desire to be free. Um, so yeah. I love that little moment. I love the music in that moment too. Oh my gosh. It's so good. It's, it's called, uh, flying with Chewie flying on the soundtrack, with right? Chewie. It sure is Jason. It sure is. Oh man. It's good stuff. And, um, here it is. It does. And it, you know, and you know what I love about. But, we, hold on, I, I yeah. gotta, I gotta say something. Okay. Um, I follow Yuna Tsutomo on Instagram. Mm-hmm. Uh, Yuna Tsutomo is the actor who plays Chewbacca now, the the, the new Chewbacca. Um, he posted a picture of his new son, who's like five months old now. Um, he's playing with his son, and he's like, 
the new Chewie, the baby Chewie listening to uh, Flying with Chewbacca, you know, something like that. So he's he's listening to the soundtrack while oh, playing with his kid. That's really so. Cute. It was really neat. I was like, "Oh my gosh!" That's really it, sweet. he's a huge fan too. Yeah. So like, it's like, "Oh, that's so great to to see people involved or actually like super excited about you know the soundtrack and actually yes. you know other things in the movie too." So yeah, the thing I love about that little piece of music and it's it's like the second half of the track flying with Chewie, um, but it's. It, the, again, the tonality of it just makes me think of something from Phantom Menace. There's something very beautiful and innocent about it, um, but more mature sounding than like an Anakin theme from Phantom Menace. Right. Um, it's it's it, it, and kind of the the, the use of percussion because again weaved into that piece is the theme that John Powell creates for Chewie, and I like the percussion because again, um, in a way like it, musically, it indicates that Chewie is from a tribal people, right? The Kashyyyk. Um, the Kashyyyk culture is very tribal. It's right. It's just something very indigenous about it. And I like that he puts in these kind of indigenous sounding drums as well. Um, when I first heard it, I was like, Ooh, this sounds really weird. It doesn't sound like star Wars. But as I've listened to it more, I'm like, wait a minute, this is perfect star Wars because he's capturing a cultural feel with a tone of a song. Like that's, that's so John Williams. Um, yeah. So yeah, I love that. And it, I just smile every time I watch that scene, every time I hear that song and it's just, there's something very tender in the music because this is the 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 budding of this re- beautiful relationship between han and chewie yeah no it's really cool um and then of course we get the the plan and the the campfire scene and this is a key scene you know in the movie mm-hmm. um where we really start finding out for everybody but you know primarily han and chewie their motivations, why they're here. Um, I just want to make, make mention that I, I love Val. Uh, I think Val's a great character. Um, she doesn't talk about herself at all, though. She's like, uh-uh. Nope, not going to do it. Um, and according to the uh, the official guide, about all she's revealed other than her name to even Beckett is the fact that her father named her after the Valacord instrument. Interesting. Which which is why Beckett wants to learn to play the Valachord. He wants to impress his girl. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> but she's very closed-lipped about her past. And so while she wants to know everything about Han and Chewie, she's not going to tell anybody. You know, She's not going to reveal any information herself. <laughs> right. You brought us these morons. Are you guys morons? No. <laughs> um <laughs> Yeah, I love the campfire scene. I mean, shocking again. You know, you know me, Jason. When it comes to the things I love in Star Wars, I love these like uh-huh. lame kind of dialogue scenes. But they're great because they're such character building moments, and you know they're essential to Star Wars. And I love this campfire scene um, because you kind of have more, spe- most specifically Han and Chewie. But you know, you learn that Vale is in love with Beckett, and vice versa. Like I didn't see that coming. I just assumed they were you know, coworkers, right? They, right. They're mutual scoundrels that trust one another's skills, but that's about it. But no, they clearly care about each other. Even Beckett has a goal. And I think that enamors Han, right? Han has a goal to go get his girl and to fly among the stars, right? Like to be free with the person he loves. Beckett yeah. has a very similar goal, right? To, to get out of the heel of Crimson Dawn and be with Vale and just go back to Gleon 5 and learn that Valcor. Gleon Selm. Gleon Selm. Thank you. <laughs> um, but uh, I love that how, like, 
Uh, I wish we learned a little bit more about Rio. I mean, he is the comic relief of the group, which I appreciate. Um, but I will say Vale shows a tremendous amount of humanity in this scene, even though she doesn't reveal much, well, reveal anything about herself. When, you know, Rio saying no one's going to tie me down, Vale says everybody needs someone, even a burnout old crook, right? Um, right. And when Han admits to what he's doing, right, he's after, yeah, like Vale's like, no, I know that look. It's a girl, isn't it? And right. Han admits, right, like, yeah, I'm in love. I want to go and get the girl that I love. It, it, Thanny Newton just facially, beautifully acts that part. It just, it just gives this really tender smile. And I think that's the first point where she is like okay with Han because she understands that Han isn't just some everyday crook. Like he's like Beckett in the sense that he's doing this for a reason. Um, and in a way, a very selfless reason. Um, yeah. And then they, of course, ask Chewie. And we learn that Chewie either has a tribe or a family. According to Beckett, what's the difference? Exactly. Um, you know, and he's out looking for them. Um and you know we can assume at some point he finds them, but it's it's not in this movie. So right, not till the holiday special. Exit right. <laughs> <laughs> so this train heist scene, incredibly action packed. I love it. It's so much fun. Um, and of course, in the midst of it all, we get introduced to you know a new Imperial trooper, the Range Trooper. Which, by the way. The music when they are firing at Beckett uh, and the train turns around the corner and you hear the Imperial mm-hmm. theme from A New Hope played, I, I love that version of that theme. It's my favorite statement of that Imperial theme um, is, that, is, is this moment. But um, And then, of course, we get Enfys Nest, who's mm-hmm. another – uh, a reoccurring character in this movie um, with a great theme. Yes. Thank you again. Uh, another. Uh, thank you again, Mr. Powell. Exactly. An- another great theme and uh, a cool look. Yes. And how about the fact that it's a children's choir? Okay, where is it? Why can't I find it? Hmm. Well, whatever. This is all just music. Here it is. So even musically, John Powell is hinting at something that we will learn a little bit later. Exactly. Um, yeah, I love the fight between Enfys Nest and Beckett. I love a good melee fight in Star Wars, um, right? And it's, it's not much of a fight. It's very short, but it's still really cool. Um, as she runs at Beckett, disarms him quickly. But then he also does like this really cool little like leg sweep and bring her down too. But it's just great. I love like I love like fisticuff fights in Star Wars, like like the Rumble in the Rain and Attack of the Clones. Right, right. Good old fashioned brawl. Right. I wish it had been a little bit longer, to be honest. So, um, but yeah, right. So these these pirates show up. Um, you know, Rio, and that's again in the eyes of Beckett and the crew, like that's what they are. They're just pirates and marauders here to you know snake the score out from under us as rio puts it and mm-hmm. um right like uh oh, it's just it's such a great action scene and the thing that shocked me in the train heist though did not see this coming both vale and rio dying yeah we're only like a half an hour into the movie and they're both dead right did I, I did not expect it either it yeah. was one of those you know shocking things was 
and shocking in the moment because I was like, Wait, what? What? We're getting rid of them already? You know, they're great characters. I, I predicted Rio wasn't going to make it very far in the movie. Um, I do remember ta- saying that uh, when we were talking about one of the, the teaser or the trailer, I forget which one it was. Um, but I was honestly really surprised that um, that Val didn't make it, you know, past the, the train sequence. I was also surprised that this was as early in the movie as it was. Yeah, that's I the thing. I thought this was going right. to be, you know, one of the final set pieces. Yep. Same here. Same here. So. Um, and I remember when I watched it the first time, I was just thinking to myself after the this sequence is over, I'm like, wow, what's to come then? And I kind of like that because it's like, I really have no idea. <laughs> right. Um, but yeah, I, it, it's such a great scene. And, and Han goes up and shows off his piloting skills. And, you know, Rio's dying words to Han is, you know, Val was right, kid. Don't die alone. Um, so again, just reiterating to Han the importance of of having someone to share his life with. Mm-hmm. Um, and Vale's death scene, I thought it was great too. It's, it's even though we barely know this character, I care about her. She's also yeah. a, a badass with her gun. Like she takes out Viper droids. Like it's her job, um, <laughs> which is really fun to watch. But you know, um, the way she just like sacrifices herself like that. Again, the music is beautiful in that moment. I'm not going to take the time to try to find it. Um, but it's actually the, it's, a, it's a very tragic piece of music that's then used again when L3 falls on Kessel. So again, John Powell kind of creates this kind of um, trauma music, if you will, that he uses a few times throughout the film. So again, very similar to what John Williams would do. Um, yeah, I did not see Val going out like that. And, and you know, another Star Wars movie where somebody screams no. Um, right. While someone it's, they care about is, is killed. Um, it's been a ride, babe. And I wouldn't trade it for anything. I mean, you can't get much better, you know, final words than that. Right. I, I honestly, I think... The emotion that she puts into that and then Beckett's emotional response afterwards get me. You know, if, if I'm super – when I'm super invested in, in, in the movie, they get me. And I'm like, oh, don't do that. No. And I'm almost screaming along with Beckett. Um, but yeah, no, it's it's a – it was a shocking scene to scene see to- when I – you know – first saw the movie it was not something i saw coming at all and it was very well done yeah um so you know the the heist kind of ends nobody gets the uh the coaxium um much to beckett's dismay because we learn that for beckett this is not just something that they're trying to steal for their own profit but it's because they're doing it for crimson dawn um, right. And when he says that, I love the – again, Jonas, Jonas does not get enough credit for how good he is in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean he is the perfect follow-up to Peter Mayhew. I mean it's very clear that he studied with Peter closely during Force Awakens. Um, and when, when Beckett mentions that they were doing this for Crimson Dawn, Chewie seems to know who that is because you see him kind of like flabbergasted in the background. Like, um, what? Yeah. <laughs> so – you know, Beckett's not going to run. He feels like the best thing to do is to go to, to Voss and try to talk his way out of this. You know, 
um, every time. Um, and uh, <laughs> Han wants to go with him. And this is this is the moment where I feel like Beckett really becomes a father figure to Han. And I really like this. So Beckett says, you know, if you come with me, you're in this life. No, no kid, don't come with me. Dryden doesn't know who you are. He doesn't know your face. If you come with me, they'll kill you, you know, like, or even if he allows us to, like, you're going to be stuck in this life for good. If you come with me and show your face, I love that. That's, that's very, Beckett doesn't owe that to Han. Um, yet he does. He cares enough about Han to basically say like, no, let me deal with this. You just run. Right. And I think that's the moment where he really does become like this father figure to Han. Um, again, they both have similar goals, which we learned at that campfire. But in this particular moment, um, you have, you know, you have the two of them. Well, you have Beckett looking out for Han. Yeah. So. Yeah. And then Han, of course, steps up and does the honorable thing by saying, nope, we'll go with you. And Chewie reluctantly agrees. And they uh, head off to meet Dryden Voss's yacht, which happens to conveniently be had coming over the mountain. Mm-hmm. I love <laughs> expecting the <look> of- payment. <laughs> right. I love the look of that yacht. It's so cool. It is cool. Uh, let me see. The, I has a name here in the book. Let me pull it up. While you're pulling it up, the thing I'll say that I like a lot about it too is it reminds me a lot of some of the ships that we see in Clone Wars. Ah, yes. Um, the oh, I forget the name of it, but it's the the kind of reminds me of a Satine ship. Yeah, the, the ship that they take from Mandalore to Coruscant. Exactly. Yeah. Um, it's called First Light. Oh, interesting. Which is um, not at all what that ship brings, but, you know, um, a little irony yeah. for uh, for Dryden Voss there. Yeah. <laughs> um, the, the, you know, so, yeah, then they drop off their weapons and they're taking the elevator up to, you know, more of a top floor. And I don't know why. It just makes me think of the elevator scene from Attack of the Clones, right? Is Obi-Wan and Anakin are riding up to, to meet Padme. <laughs> we get some very interesting source music. Very, very different from anything we've gotten in a Star Wars film as far as source music goes. Mm-hmm. The name of the track is Chicken in the Pot. I don't know why. <laughs> Probably it's the name of the song. Oh. But so, <laughs> so cool. But um, over the weekend, I was down in New York City for a friend's wedding with like Joe Hogan and that group of guys. And Chris D, who, you know, is one of the Star Wars artists who's been on the show in the past. Chris was there um, with his girlfriend and, and his girlfriend's from right outside Paris. And we were listening to that song and because they're like, that sounds like it's French, but it's not. It's some sort of, I th- again, I think it's just something that riffs on the sound of French. So you have, you know, the female singers sing singing something that sounds French, but then the other singer who on the soundtrack is just a really high pitched female. But in the movie, it's that little bass sounding creature in the the can. Um, Right. They're singing something that sounds similar to Japanese. So it's just really neat sounding song. And and I love it. I absolutely love it. I prefer this song to uh, Jabba flow from force awakens by leaps and bounds. I think it, it sounds much more so like it belongs in star Wars, but I only say that because of, Clone Wars. Clone Wars has similar sounding music to this, more so than the other films. 
Um, like this sounds nothing like Lopty Neck. It sounds nothing like Jedi Rocks, right? It's very much its own thing, which I appreciate. But it sounds like something we'd hear in a club scene from the Clone Wars, which I just thought was really cool. Yeah. No, it is It is really neat. And we get our quote-unquote cantina scene, mm-hmm. um, which is more of a club scene. So in that regard, it it's, matches a little bit closer to what we have in Attack of the Clones, um, except it's, you know, a high-end club rather than, you know, the, the gambling club or the, you know, the party club that we get um, in episode two. Uh, and we we are reunited with Kira. Mm-hmm. Good old Kira. Yeah. And Han does not see that coming. Absolutely nope. taken aback by it, but he's so ecstatic. And it's the first time we get their, their, their love theme, um, stated in the movie. Um, and Han is just so elated because like, Hey, she's here. And, um, but we can quickly tell that she's not the same character Han left behind on Corellia. Right. Um, you know, she tells him that she's so glad he got out. She doesn't want him to, in any way to feel guilty about the fact that she didn't. Um, right. But she does make this, you know, very early on, she makes a comment where she says, you know, that's all in the past now. Right. Like for Kira, in a way, like she certainly still cares about Han. She has feelings for him. But I think it's very different for Kira. She's in a very different place. For the last three years, Han has been devoted to trying to find a way to get back to her. Whereas I think Kira has been doing everything she can do to just survive. Um, right. And, uh, yeah, it, I mean, it, it's a it's a great moment because, you know, Han's like, I di- I'm doing all this to get back to you. She's like, well, you don't have to I'm right here. Um, yeah, but she's not the same person. Yeah. And uh, he, you know, he asks her, how'd you get out? And she's like, I didn't, you know, and you see Han like, you know, sort of catch you know, like like there's a lump that starts forming in his throat, but she moves on. Rather quickly in the conversation, he's like, I didn't. But let's talk about you. How did you get here? What are you doing here? You know, all this stuff. And she moves the conversation past that very quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, so he can't dwell on it. Right. So yeah. And then she she learns that Han and Beckett are working together. Um, and then Dryden shows up. Oh, and, Dryden. And I like Dryden Voss. I like him I a think lot. he's cool. I do too. Well, and to be fair, the first thing we see of him, right, you know, uh, the, when they walk in, Beckett is told by, you know, just someone like, oh, you know, Dryden will be with you shortly. He's meeting, he's currently meeting with the local governor. And we immediately see Dryden kill the guy. Right. Um, which is a great, like, what a great introduction of the villain, right? The first thing we see him do is doing his own dirty work. Mm-hmm. Um, very crime boss, you know, it's like something out of the Sopranos. Um, <laughs> so I, I really like that. I love the facial scars. He just, he, he, he looks like the villain, but he's also a smooth talking villain. The first thing he does is ask Beckett, you know, he says to Beckett is I'm sorry to hear about Vale. Um, mm-hmm. so like he feigns a level of interest in these people, even though, you know, it's not genuine. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, then he gets introduced to Han and Chewie, which you see Beckett was very reluctant to let happen. Exactly. And then he's like, well, come on, come along. Let's go somewhere private. Let's, uh, what is it? Drink a lot. Um, yeah. Live a little and talk privately or something like yeah, that. Yeah, something like that. Um, and then 
that's when the the mask is taken off and we find out that he's really just not happy and right. he's about ready to just, you know, take everyone's heads and be done with it. Um <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. The scene and it, <clears throat> Go ahead. Oh, the scene where they kind of concoct a new plan, though, to, to save their skins um, is right to, to go to Kessel to, to steal some pure uh, coaxium, which they can then, you know, take to Un, yeah. Uh, yeah, unrefined and then take it somewhere to be refined. You know, we can do this. I like in that scene that you kind of have Han, Chewie and Kira working together to make that all happen. So Han's the first one to come up with the idea of. You know, you know, because Kira makes it clear to Beckett. Well, there's nowhere else we we can get that coaxium. You know, Scarif, <laughs> great shout out, or some other planet I've never heard of, which I thought was great because again, that's just world building. Um, and uh, but Han is just sitting there so casually, even though his life is like hanging on a thread. And he's like, "What about unrefined?" You know, so he puts in something on the plan, and then Chewie offers up Sa- Saverine. Um, is a place yep. they can take it close enough to Kessel to you know process it before it, it explodes. So I like that they all are kind of working together. They all have the, a mind involved in this plan. Beckett does not. You know, it's not Beckett's plan at all. Um, so I really appreciate that. That it's kind of all of them working together. And this is some of my favorite stuff with Han. And he's like, "You would need an incredibly fast ship, not to mention a great pilot." He's like, we'll get a ship. We've already got the pilot. And he just like points at himself. Right. So good. <laughs> I love that Beckett and Dryden both start laughing. And Dryden goes, he is arrogant and he's hungry. <laughs> you know? He's, he's um, Tell me, Kira, do you think your friend can deliver on what he says? I do. Yes, I do. Good. You're going with him. You're going with him to ensure that he does. Yeah. Great! I lo- this has I'm been great. wonderful. It's been wonderful. I, I love this again. plan. I'm excited about it. Let's do it again sometime. But, but. Oh, but remember, <laughs> fail me and draw a lot of options. We won't. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I like the way he says, and we're all out of options, meaning right. like, I'll be forced to kill you. Right. I don't have another option. I'm sorry. Yeah, he plays you know. like, like it's so passive as if it's not his bidding. <laughs> exactly. Um, exactly. And of course... You know that that comment is not only meant for Beckett and the crew, but it's also meant for Kira. And we see the look on her face as she's like, "Oh, okay, we're going there, are we?" Yeah, fine. You know, so she's going to have to prove herself on this on this score, shall we say, in order to remain in the good graces of Dryden Voss. Yeah, and Crimson Dawn. Yeah, and um. We also learned in that scene that Dryden reports to somebody, right? He tells Becky, you know who I work for. Um, he's going to demand consequences. So, again, that's the first time we hear about, you know, we're going to hear it a few more times throughout the rest of the film that Dryden has someone he reports to. You know, even at the end on Savarine that Kira tells on, like, even Dryden has a master. All along, though, the first time I saw it, I figured they were just talking about Jabba. Um, <laughs> I, I Definitely didn't. I not Darth was- Maul. I thought it was going to be some Imperial, maybe Tarkin. Um, I honestly, you know, 
I didn't think too deeply about it because it's like, oh, we'll we'll figure it out sooner or later. Um, but I, I thought it was going to be someone uh, imperial um, that we can be associated with the Empire, um, which is why Tarkin popped to mind. Maybe Krennic, you know. I was like, you know, they're not going to go with Palpatine, are they? Was was kind of like my my initial thought, um, but who it ends up being was way cooler than any of that. So, yeah. Um, I'm just looking at the time and the fact that we're not even halfway through this movie and we're almost to the full length of a podcast episode. So, um, I ask you this on air, which is totally unprofessional. Do we want to just fly through the rest of this movie or do we want to just talk maybe through Kessel and then (laughs) finish this up next week alongside the responses from our listeners? Uh, let's, uh, We'll we'll finish it up with uh, next week. Let's let's go through a few more things here, yeah. Uh, and uh, then we'll uh, we'll finish it up. Well, let's not rush this movie because I don't think this is a movie that should be rushed. I agree. Even though the movie itself rushes, we need not. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, good. I like uh, that. So thank you for everybody for listening to us listening through our plan right after hearing a plan in the film. Jason and I got to plot together too. <laughs> exactly. Um, um, but, but yeah, of course the. Yeah. The first thing, the first uh, order of business is we got to get a ship. Mm-hmm. And uh, Kira knows just the man. He's charming and attractive and all this stuff. Um, he's a great smuggler, or at least he was. He's retired now. Um, but, uh, of course, we find out it's Lando Calrissian. And uh, the notorious card shark is plying his wares at the local establishment and is doing rather well, it appears. Yeah. Is this all still on uh, Vereen? Is that the name of the planet? Uh, it is. Hold on. Yes, it is. And okay. it's the planet is called. Where'd it go? Va- Vandor. Excuse me. Okay. V- Vandor. Yes. Vandor. Thank you. Yeah. Um, and that's where Lando is as well at this time? Yes. Okay. That's what I thought. I just wanted to be sure. Um, but yeah. It, also, what's clear is that Han is immediately jealous in a way of Lando, right? The way Kira keeps going on and on about his attractive looks and his suave, you know, debonair attitude. Oh. Han is definitely okay. a little jealous. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And he's like, ah, I already don't like the guy. Um, let's hope his ship is worth it. <laughs> it's right. kind of Han's mentality. Um, and of course, they, they see him and his first remark is, interesting style (laughs) yeah yep yeah and um han learns as they're they're going to meet lando as well that he won his ship playing sabacc um which is of course an a a very important plot point for han (laughs) and his relationship with lando oh yes han immediately wants to take lando on in sabacc um because i think han's hope is that like you know what i'm just gonna win his ship from him then we won't even need him I really think exactly. that's Han's plan. And then I can take the ship after the job, and we're all good. Yep, exactly, yeah. So for Han, this is a great opportunity to get what they need and get rid of what he doesn't want, which is Lando. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. So they sit down to play. By the way, I love the Sabacc scene. Um, it, it plays really fun. It's not, it's not slow and drawn out. I don't feel like I don't know what's going on um, insofar as like how the card game works. Um and Han certainly doing very well for for most of the time, and I love the creatures. 
around the table. They're great. Yeah. They're so great. Um, and my favorite creature of, of all, and you'll have to tell me if this guy's in the guidebook, because if he is and he has a name, I must know it, Jason. It's the little okay. guy in the spacesuit that looks kind of like a bunny. He's not a bunny because he's, he's not Jackson. I know he's not that character because he's, t- he's very round and pudgy and cute. He's standing right behind Han towards the end of the game. And like Han taps him on the shoulder when he thinks he's won. Um, I don't know the name of the creature, but he's so cute and I love him. Um, uh, let me look and see if he's in here. Hold on. Okay. Um, well, while you're looking, I'll, I'll just say again that I had so much fun watching the scene and we know that Lando's baiting Han because as we learn, Lando's a cheater. <laughs> so, um, that makes me like Lando less. Um, and I'm going to just, this is kind of a side note, but for everybody that's like, Oh my God, I'm just so excited to see Lando. This, you know, the trailers are all, all, all I care about is Lando. I, I don't care. Like this is Han's movie very much. So I think he's a way more compelling character than Lando is at, in any, every shape and form in this movie. Lando. I just, I still don't care about him. Like he's a cool side character, but that's it. I don't want a Lando movie. I mean, at least not from what we've gotten here. Like Han, I'm sure they could make him more compelling to be fair, but there's nothing about Lando in this movie that makes me that excited. I think he's fun. I enjoy that he's in it, but He's always, to me, just a side character. And I think both Alden as an actor and Han as the character immensely outshine Donald and Lando. So, and that's no discredit to Donald or Lando. They're supporting char- he's a supporting character, and he does a great job at that. But like we talked about last episode, I think Alden had a far bigger feat than Donald Glover, and he knocks it out of the park. Yes, I agree. And unfortunately, no, there is no name for that character in the nice. guidebook, which now I'm disappointed. Nice. Um, <laughs> although, you know, one of my favorite patrons in this this bar is uh, Argus Panics, whose nickname is Six Eyes. You know, a little on the nose there, but, uh, you know, Six Eyes. He's, he's the the guy playing cards sitting right next to, uh, to Han. Um, <laughs> and, of course peaks with one of his eye stalks during the game and, right, and yeah. han has to tell him to you know Foden eyes be- on your cards yeah you know all of them right you know. now i can see your now, hand <laughs> now i can see yours <laughs> um yeah i love foden b jr too in the scene oh right the the twins is what they're called the, it's a nickname uh lark and junk they're not twins but they are a single entity with two heads you know love it. much like foden b um but yeah so you know the the game progresses to the point that han thinks he's about to win um and he puts his ship against lando's a vcx 100 which for those of you who don't know what that means which i'll be i'll call myself i didn't realize which model ship that was it's the ghost it's the same model ship as the ghost in rebels um so han claims to have one of those and he puts it up against lando's and Lando has the better hand, but as soon as everybody starts congratulating Lando, we see, right, we see that shot under the table of a little thing that goes and hides itself in hand, Lando's wrist, so, which immediately reveals that he's a cheater. So, oh, yeah. Um, he, he had a card up his sleeve, literally. literally. <laughs> um, and, and Han knows it. He's like, he's cheated. There's no way that, that card uh, – he should have had that card. They'd all been played already. You know, he's, he's livid. Um, and then, of course, you know, he's going on about this guy, and then all of a sudden, yoo-hoo! 
Right. <laughs> yeah. Han is pissed because well, I like it because Han's like, there's no way he could have had one of those cards still in the hand. Like in a way, like Han's smart. Like he knows how to play this game. He I don't know that he was necessarily counting cards, but he knows that that literally wasn't possible. So he knows Lando cheated. Right. Um, right. But yeah. Yoo-hoo. <laughs> hey, where's my ship? I don't have it with me. It's in the shop. In the shop. <laughs> you know, um, I, oh. but of course, you know, oh, we, by we, the way, we, that just that line where he says, I don't have it with me. That's such a Han DeGrito line. And this again, <laughs> I'm going to rewind just for a quick second because I meant to say this right at the beginning of the movie when he Han first bumps into Malik, Malik, Malik. Is it Malik? Uh, yeah, Malik, Malik. And he's like. Malik, I was just on my way to see Proxima. It's very similar to Greedo. I was just on my way to see your boss. You know? Right. Um, right. Anyway. And then this one, too. I don't have it with me. Yeah. Uh, you know, same same thing. Um, same cadence is how Harrison delivers lines like that. Again, it doesn't right. sound exactly like him, but it's the, it's the same cadence. Right. Um, and then, then, of course, we get, you know, Kira and, you know, fixing the situation somewhat with Lando and Han. Uh, and then Beckett comes in to uh, <clears throat> negotiate Lando's price. Um, and <laughs> I love how Lando's like, I'm going to need 50% of the take, you know, 50% what? And, uh, you know, Beckett immediately just walks in 25%. And then of course, Lando lays on the charm and the flattery about him killing Ara Singh. And well, I pushed her. I like to think the fall killed her, um, which I will bet money that that's what we're going to get in Beckett's comic series yeah. that we're about to get. Right. So I don't think it's a series either, or maybe it is. A, it, it, but it's, yeah, well, it's a standalone series. Yeah, a standalone series. Right. It, whatever five issue mini series. Yeah. So. Um, um, yeah. When uh, but when Han gets pissed when Lando says you know fifty percent. You know, quiet. Grownups are talking. Oh, I hate when like people used to say stuff like that to me. Like when, even when I was in college, it would piss me off to no end because it's such an arrogant thing to say. Like mm-hmm. I'm totally with Han there. Like I, I would want to deck Lando in that moment too. Like, sh- oh my god, you're so flipping arrogant. Um, <laughs> and, right? Yeah. But yeah, and then and Beckett kind of just puts him in his place. He's like, no, we're gonna do you know twenty five percent for you. Do forty. Twenty five. He turns around to Kira. Twenty-five, it is. Yeah, <laughs> you know? right, right. Like it was his idea. Um, mm-hmm. And then we meet L three. I think L three is a great character. I yeah, love L three. I do too. She's really funny um, most of the time. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, and of course, that's Ron Howard's brother, who apparently always gets um, cameos in Ron Howard films. Um. Right. The, the mean man that yes. she's holding his face. Right. Yes. But, but in this scene, we learn kind of what's important to L3. L3 is all about droids rights, you know, and not following the program, you know, exercise some free will. You know, you don't have to do your programming. Um, yeah. Which I honestly, like, I still think it's kind of a weird thing to have. That's very science fictiony where to me, Star Wars has always been space fantasy. I don't dislike. I mean, I know there's some people that really hate it. They're like, "This is so stupid." It's, again, Disney bringing a political agenda. I don't know. I don't really want to focus on that because it just takes away from the fun of this movie. I do think it's a silly plot device to have her so obsessed with like droids' rights. Um, 
but I don't hate it. <laughs> I certainly don't it, hate I it. I mean, it's just it pays it pays off on Kessel. It does, um, right? Is, is why it's here is because they need a way to start, you know, the distraction, start the revolution, so to speak. And they even kind of try to explain her quote unquote sentience mm-hmm. here in the um, the official guide uh, because her brain module. Began as an R3 astromech brain and has been overlaid uh, with data from an espionage droid, protocol droid processors, and custom state-of-the-art coding, which means it's a mishmash of all sorts of different things uh, that shouldn't normally go together, which is why she has the level of quote-unquote sentience that she does Mm. um, and the the self-awareness that she does, which most other droids will never reach. Um, So – that's why. Uh, so they, t- they try to explain a little bit here in the the official guide, but it, basically someone's been like adding everything they can to the brain module just so that she's you know an expert for everything smugglers might need. Um, <laughs> so Skynet has become self-aware, mm-hmm, essentially. Um, but you know, is she successful with any of that? No. Not really. Um, not in any long-term meaningful way. Uh, but I think she's a, a hilarious character, and um, Phoebe Waller-Bridge played her perfectly. Yeah. So. Yeah, she's so, – who are these guys? <laughs> um, I love <laughs> who it. Who are these guys? Yeah. No, uh, that's, a, that's a good point about take, the background. We're taking yeah. them to Kessel. Right. What if I uh, elect not, not to go to Kessel? What if I don't elect to go to Kessel? Right. Uh, but we're going to be going. Oh, because you're my organic overlord. My organic overlord. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, and I think you're absolutely right. Like that, that whole that whole plot device of her, you know, interest in droids' rights and droids' freedom is. You're right. I mean, it's it's what pays off on Kessel, and it's more than just freeing droids. Like she also frees the prisoners, right? Frees the slaves. So, um, yeah. I mean, it's it's. To me, the only interesting part is the fact that she is a droid and not just some other type of character. Um, because mm-hmm. while the dro- yes, droids in Star Wars always have a level of sentience and we have empathy and compassion for them, specifically like R two, three PO, and then BB eight. Um, it was just an interesting take. But again, like I said, I I it I don't hate it like the way some people seem to, which I don't get. Um, but yeah, um, it. It's it's a great part of her character, and, and to me, my I think probably my favorite l- little joke of hers is when Lando gets up and says, "Do you need anything? Equal rights." <laughs> um, I thought it was really funny. Yeah, but uh, right. I love. I, I, go ahead. I I think one of the you know another funny moment is when it's just her and Kira alone in the cockpit. Oh yeah, great scene. And she's like, you know, what do you mean about your problem? What, what problem? problem? Well, from that brand, I see you're committed, and according to the uh, the heart uh, beat of the uh, the young man, he's in love with you, you know. And then, of course, she talks about how she's in a similar situation with Lando, and but we're just not compatible. <laughs> Sometimes I think maybe, but no, <laughs> but right? <laughs> um, yeah, no, that's a great moment, but. Uh, Right, so we go down to to see the Falcon for the first time, and uh, I, I, again, I just I gotta play this little clip from from the soundtrack here for the music because it's 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 really good. Um, 
this isn't it. Let me find it. Here it is. Hold on one second. I'm going to rewind just a tiny bit. But listen to it at first here. It's it's very like it just makes me think of like a nursery rhyme, like these these child the chimes and the bells, and it's basically as Han is saying to Becky, he's like, I bet you that he doesn't even have a ship, or if he does, it's some piece of garbage. And then they come around the corner and see it. So just listen to this musical cue. It's great. And here they come around the corner. So yeah, it's it's great. Yeah, I mean, this is not a new theme that Powell's written by any means, um, but it doesn't need to be. It's 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 pointing forward to what's to come, and I just I love these beautiful chimes. Like it's a it's something legendary, something mythical is about to take place. It's, again, it's, it throws us in, into the midst of a fairy tale, and then you have this really cool rendition of the rebel theme. Um, with a choir, at least I think that's a choir there in the background. So again, there's something very angelic, something very, and this is obviously a bit of a stretch, but something very divine in this moment, something very um, destiny oriented, right? Like Han's destiny mm-hmm. is, is revealed to him as he looks at that ship longingly. And, um, you know, I remember people saying like, oh, I don't think those are twin suns. Those, those are just hangar lights. Well, now we know it's outside. It's definitely not hangar lights. That's either twin suns or like twin moons, but it's great. Twin moons. Yeah, they're twin moons and it's great because this is Hans, you know, staring at the sunset moment because he sees this ship and he needs to have it. <laughs> you yes. know, so even just musically, it just beautifully tells us that Hans fate is now intricate, you know, in- intrinsically coupled with the Falcon. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's definitely, uh, as he puts it later on, you know, it's mutual <laughs> yep. between him and the Falcon. Um, he loves it, and he must has it. Um, and of course, not to uh, be, you know, not to forget is that throughout all of this, um, Enfys Nest has had her right hand spying. Yes. On, on them, and there's a tracking device put on the Falcon uh, not, for whenever not they this get... ship, sister. <laughs> yeah, not on this ship. Well, yes, on this ship, sister. Um, <laughs> and I, I do want to say I don't remember if I talked about this on the last episode or not, but her right hand, Empress Ness's right hand, yeah, played by Warwick Davis. Oh, also is by Warwick in, Davis. Yep, or or is, is in fact is that Weasel? What, is is in fact Weasel okay. from the Phantom Menace? So it is, in fact, the same character. The uh, um, the guide here confirmed it. Um, so yes, that is. I think that's a cool little tie to Phantom Menace. Uh, feel free to tie more to Phantom Menace. I want to see a Gungan. Um, <laughs> don't care what the haters say. I want a Gungan. Doesn't have to be Jar Jar, but just give me a Gungan. Gungan. Um, to be fair, in the the Han and Lando novel uh, last shot, there is a Gungan in the in the novel. Um, there you go. But uh, yeah, no, um, that's uh, yeah, it's a great moment. Lando is pissed off, though, because somebody 
has clamped his ship. <laughs> um, I think I think they did that a while ago. I think he's been trapped on uh, Vandor for a while because you know uh, when Kira says, "I thought you were retired." Situation circumstances change, you know, and mm. I I think someone clamped it there and so he's bringing everybody there and he's like oh oh who would do such a thing you know someone's oh, gonna you know. and also yeah good point because you know he says he likes to keep it locked away because people boo ships but they it seems you know l3 they're cuts, breaking they're, they're breaking, breaking in. in yeah so it's probably in an impound yes um yeah that's a good point i would not i'd have not i did not pick up on that I only picked it up on this last time I watched it, which is the third time for those of you wondering. I've seen it three times now, and I've only picked up on that the last time I watched it. It was like, oh, Lando's using these folks to get his ship out of impound. Um, I didn't and, know, yeah. I did not notice that. And, uh, of course, you know, that brings his share down another 5% to 20 so that it's split evenly now. Um, I don't like it. <laughs> I don't agree with it, but I accept it. <laughs> right. Right. Um, I mean, a sentiment we should all use from time to time. Right. Um, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, they they take off for Kessel. And again, we, we have another one of these like kind of respite moments um, where, again, it's for character building. Right. We had one at the campfire. Now we have one here on board the Falcon. Right, Star Wars often has these respite moments, right, where character building happens, and and I love moments like that because I love characters, <laughs> and I love Star <laughs> Wars characters. Um, but yeah, you have you know, uh, first off, you have uh, Han revealing something about his past to Lando. Right, they're in in the cockpit. Han is so enamored by the what he's like. It's a, this is a Carillion YT thirteen hundred, which. Any of us who are even mild Star Wars fans know that the Millennium Falcon is a YT-1300. Mm-hmm. Um, and he reveals something about the fact that he has a father who worked in the you know shipbuilding plants on Corellia. And you know he used to build these things. And he always wanted to be a pilot, but he didn't become one. That was another point that really hit home for me because my dad is an aerospace engineer and he builds plane simulators and he actually has become a pilot. But uh, it was just really a neat point where I felt a connection with Han again and uh, you know, also having kind of a, a difficult – well, he's completely estranged from his father. I am not. But, um, <laughs> right. And, and, but I love that. And then Lando admits that he's also not close with his father, just with his mother. Um, but you know, I think – in that brief little exchange, there is a tiny bit of bonding that happens between Han and Lando. They at least know what it's like to not have a father. Um, yeah. yeah. Point of connection. Um, and then, of course, Al 3 shows up and tells him to get his presumptuous ass out of her seat. Um, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and as they blast off into hyperspace, I love the look on Han's face. It's, it's a boy of wonder. Right. This is just it's Anakin looking up at the stars with Qui-Gon and Phantom Menace. It's Luke looking at the sunset. Um, right. It's this wonder filled moment for Han. Um, and it's right. beautiful. I love it. Yeah. Um, so should we stop there? I think the we should. I think that's yeah. a good point. A good stopping point uh, for now. Um, we'll, we'll walk through our thoughts on the uh, – 
the rest of the movie next episode as we discuss your thoughts on Solo, a Star Wars story. Um, now, obviously, Carl and I, if you couldn't already tell, <laughs> are huge fans of this movie. It's all right. We really like this movie a lot. I'm mild, now, mildly interested. <laughs> <laughs> Now, we don't expect everybody to be as uh, emphatically excited as we are about this. If you didn't like it, tell us. But be respectful. Be polite. You know, give well-reasoned thoughts as to why you don't like it. Um, uh, Otherwise, if you're just going to, you know, spew angry words about the movie, we're not going to read it on the, the show. We don't. We're not trying to create that kind of environment. But we do want to create uh, a place where people can discuss things. And if you like it or didn't like it or you had problems with it but like it overall or, or are still trying to figure out if you like the movie or not, we want to hear those. We want to discuss those. And um, maybe we can all come to a better understanding of the movie through that. So uh, please give us your thoughts on this movie. And Carl, if they want to weigh in. Uh, for next episode next week, where can they do that? Um, they, of course, can do it on, on our Facebook, facebook.com slash podcast. Um, follow us on Twitter at Wampusler. You can send us an email at podcast at gmail.com. And, of course, we have a Patreon page if you'd like to support the show over uh, over there. Head to patreon.com slash Um Yeah, and just to reiterate well, just to reiterate what Jason said, of course, like we welcome any and all of people's opinions on the movie whether you loved it or hated it um but yeah i mean if you're just you know if somebody sends us a note that just says i hate it it sucks probably not gonna read that because one okay that's fine but also like you're not really providing any reason (laughs) so um and to be fair jason i would agree that there are certainly some things in this movie that don't work or there are things in this movie that aren't perfect but no movie is perfect except empire strikes back um (laughs) so (laughs) um but yeah, you know, feel free to share any of your thoughts because, um, as always, they are welcomed. But also, we still have almost half of a movie to cover next week as well. So we may push, if we get a lot of responses, we may push them into a third episode on Solo. So Right. But, we'll see how this all pans out. Absolutely. Um, but please send us those thoughts via email so we can kind of keep them all together in one spot. If you want to weigh in for the episode, send your thoughts in uh, to our email, wampuslayerpodcast at gmail.com. We'd really appreciate that. Yes, so. we would. You got anything else, Carl, before we uh, blast off into light speed and end this episode? No, this has been so fun. I did not expect us to not get all the way through the movie. But then again, maybe I did, and I don't care. <laughs> I, I I did. I expected yeah. it to, as to not make it all the way through. But uh, I really want to go see it again. <laughs> yeah, I know. Me too. Uh, <laughs> uh, but anyway, yeah, we'll get back to it next week. Excellent. Sounds good to me. And thank you, everyone, for listening to this episode of the Wampus Lair podcast. It's been episode number 285, Solo Response. For Carl, I'm Jason, and we will see you next time here in the Wampa's Lair. Wampa's Lair.